Welcome to the BG Podcast, conversations at the intersection of business, community, and public policy from the Austin metro and around Texas. You can find this episode and prior recordings at www.binghamgp.com slash podcast and on iTunes and Google Play. Hello, this is AJ Bingham, CEO of the Bingham Group, and our guest today is Kobla Teddy, the president of the Austin Area Urban League Young Professionals. Welcome to the show, Kobla. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. You, uh, where are you calling in from today? I'm calling in from my office in Austin, Texas. So, yeah. you know, we're in the same city. Yeah, yeah, it's true. But North Austin, you're in the, you're in South Dallas, right? Yeah, South Austin. Yeah, South Austin. South Austin, yeah. okay, move. Pretty good, man. Well, um, you know, I I was part of the urban, Austin area urban young professionals a number of years ago when they first were reformed here yeah. um, as a young professional wing to the Austin, to the Austin area urban league. And, and then, you know, it's, it's carried on a number of years. You've been present last going on three years and the groups just from my observations done, uh, you know, dramatic work in terms of membership and also just some programmatic uh, opportunities. Mm-hmm. So for those who aren't familiar with the Austin area urban League young, young professionals, can you give us a quick synopsis of what the group's about and how it's affiliated with, affiliated with the urban league? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, I saw some of your old pictures, you know what I mean? <laughs> so they would do like the hairline, man. Uh, they would do like some throwback pictures, and then I was like, "Oh, AJ was here when it started." Uh, you know what I mean? When they restarted, Virginia helped uh, get it back going. So, yeah, so I was like, "Oh, okay, that's awesome." And I didn't know that at first, so that was good to to see that you were originally uh, involved in the mix. So thank you for everything you did because if you guys hadn't done that, we wouldn't be where we are right now. So like the National Urban League Young Professionals were actually like the national group was unveiled in 1999 in Houston, Texas. And it was essentially a conglomerate. They were, you know, assigned to white paper, a group of young professionals to see if an auxiliary group for young professionals in the ages of 21 to 40 would be good to help facilitate the message of the Austin Urban League. Excuse me, not the Austin Urban League, but the National Urban League. And the National uh, Urban League movement, uh, or what the young professionals want to do is make sure that we're supporting the National Urban League movement through volunteerism, philanthropy, and uh, membership development. And there are some pillars that we focus on. So we definitely want to make sure that we're focusing on African-Americans, but we also make sure that we just focus on underserved residents to ensure that they have the ability to ensure uh, economic self-reliance, parity, power, and civil rights. And even specifically within that, you know, a health and quality of life. Uh, We do that through community outreach. We do that through advocacy um, and making sure that we also provide tools for social and economic equality. So the objective of the young professionals, though those are the, the mantra of the Urban League, the young professionals take that and we create committees to create programming that affects our demographic range in those areas. Mm-hmm. So you have young professionals who want to get involved in the community and some people may be community minded. So someone like myself, I was about that community. So I was like, okay, I'm going to community outreach. I was like, I think we should always do things to uh, attract and appeal to the children to bring them up to showcase all opportunities that they can potentially have. So that was my drive. But then you have civic engagement, which is, which is focused on advocacy and making sure in the political side of things, making sure that we understand what's going on in our local areas and how we as young professionals can impact uh, not only ourselves, but our community. And of course, you have health and quality of life. Ironically, we did a, uh, a three-part weekend with the other two chapters, uh, Houston and Dallas, in May. And uh, it was broken down into three sections. And the young professionals of Austin did health and quality of life. So we wanted to make sure, in spite of all these things that are going on, that you still focus on your mental health, your physical health. You know what I mean? You're taking time to take breaks for yourself. 
you learn about trauma and things and how they affect you and how to maneuver in situations that like the one that we're currently in and how to move forward. So we just try to make sure that young professionals who look like us and have are underrepresented and underserved have an opportunity to link with young-minded people like themselves, uh, to learn from other individuals and utilize all of that power, that brain power to come up with solutions and programming so that we can continue to learn and move forward. Mm -hmm. And again, you're not originally from Austin. You've been here for a number of years. And yeah, I think uh, one thing I've noticed too, I mean, in the last decade you've seen, even though you hear the reports of the overall decrease of the black population in the Austin, at least in the city of Austin proper, um, certain segments of the black population, you know, have actually increased, and particularly in the tech sector, um, which I mean, for, I mean, you wouldn't know. I mean, it's kind of it's it's small, but I've seen that, and I was really curious. I know that's in your world as well. Um, mm -hmm. You know, just your overall membership composition. Like one, how many members you have, and how many of those folks are? Let's say are they they're not born and raised Austinites. Like they've been mm -hmm. here. Let's say at most seven years. Yeah, I, I would go. I, I would cut that all the way down to two, maybe three. Okay. So uh, it's funny because when I first moved here, I looked at those demographic information too. So Austin proper is like 7.8%. But then to your point, if you go outside of Austin, like Pflugerville, African-American population is 19.8%. Yeah. Which is like, nuts. It's, like, it's nuts. I grew up here. And you, <laughs> it's just like, that, like 19%, man? Like, it's, you know, we went up there, I went there for something. I was like, oh, I can just, it's just, you can, it's more evident. Yeah, you can see it. So, you know, depending on where you go to see the park, et cetera, uh, we're here and we're moving here with tech sector jobs as well. Uh, our membership runs the gamut, but it's the sweet spot is typically in between 25 and 35. So that's where our demographic range uh, is most heavily represented. Uh, so people out of college, but in the point of, you know, not right uh, starting their career, but establishing their career and where they want to go. Our membership actually grew uh, when I first started from, uh, grew about 3,600%. Uh, so we were very small and we became very big, very quickly. Uh, now we're in the, are, oh, you're, you're yeah, yeah. So now we're in a tune of in between 250 and 300 members. And one of those reasons is because, uh, you know, some memberships expired last year, but we're gonna, I mean, beginning of this year, but we're gonna extend those out because of COVID and giving people the opportunity to continue to contribute, uh, but maybe not, uh, you know, have impact them financially to ensure that they're still a part of the movement. So mm -hmm. we were, off that, we were on the low end. So we were like a redheaded stepchild back in the day. We had like 25 members or however many members we had. And I remember like Dallas and Houston always jazzing us talking about, oh, we got more members than you. So of course I found out how many members they had. And they were having both in between the 200, 300 range. And I was like, you know, if we're able to improve our membership to that level, that would make Austin, excuse me, Texas, uh, the biggest conglomerate of young professionals in the nation. So we would be 10% of all of the uh, representatives of young professionals in the nation. So that was the drive and the push, and we're maintaining those levels. So we continue to strive towards that and then continue to try to push and find things that we could do to engage our audience and make sure that they're engaged in what's going on. Yeah, I mean, before your tenure, I'd spoke, I'd spoken one of the membership events. And like, again, where well, I've seen the pictures y'all post just of the overall room, you know, full of young black faces, it's really, I mean, particularly in Austin, right? It's something right. that, I don't see that frequently enough where it's still, it's still a pleasant surprise to me. Right. <laughs> I think it would be to a lot of people too, because you know, you get, you hear this thing from, I think from, from black people who aren't from Austin that mm -hmm. Austin, you know, just, there's no black people here. Right. That on the Facebook feeds and on Twitter as well. And again, I think groups like yours are powerful, powerful for that reason. One, um, 
because in any community, right, you could be in Atlanta, Dallas, something else, but ultimately um, a community starts when people actually want to come together and build something, right? Mm -hmm. And I think y'all are doing great work in that capacity. Prior to all what's going on now, you know, that's been sparked around the murder of George Floyd, and just in general, what were some of the things um, just on the, let's say, on the, on the economic aspect, on the social aspect that your members were to talk about with Austin or things they wanted to see more of in Austin? Yeah, good question. So I think a lot of times that, that stigma and that narrative that you mentioned uh, about people saying that there's not enough uh, black people in Austin. That, that there aren't any. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. I, I think it becomes a self-imposed barrier to going out and exploring ways you can get into your community. So yeah. one of the issues was to ensure that we provided avenues to say, nah, there are black people. I'm originally from D.C., but you know, I've lived in D.C., lived in Miami, lived in Orlando, lived in Atlanta. And so I've been in places where there's an influx of culture. But the thing is, if you don't look for something, you won't find it. Because I remember when I moved to Dallas, I said the same thing. I was like, where are the black people at? Because I just moved from Atlanta. And so they were like, oh, there's people. They're like, there's people here. And I'm like, nah, not, not like I'm seeing. You know, not what like I'm used to. Yeah. And then once I got myself engaged in the community, specifically the urban league, then I was like, oh, it opened up all the doors for me to meet people like AJ, who tells me, hey, this thing's going on. You might want to show up here. Or this thing's going on. You might want to show up here. Here's the one thing. You will not find any community if you stay in the house. That's guaranteed. You know what I mean? And whatever flower you water will grow. So if you continue to tell yourself there aren't people here that look like you, there won't be. But if you tell yourself they are, you probably will see. And it's almost like when you buy it's cognitive, that cognitive aspect of things where if you buy a blue car, you've never seen that car ever before in your life. But as soon as you buy it, you're like, everybody's got this car. It's because now you've, you've caused that neurological pathway to, to spark up and you're paying attention a little bit more. So that's something that I've noticed here. So one of the things we wanted to make sure we did was provide those forms and those avenues and events that allowed us to one, see that other people like you are here, to coordinate with those individuals and then three, see how you can continue to grow and build a family. Because that's ultimately what it was about. It was putting ourselves in positions to utilize each other's talents to grow, but then building a family. Where is the disconnect? Why is there a disconnect in community? It shouldn't be. So let's break that barrier down and build a family. And then now when we see each other, the goal is to put oh, so much love because I know the different people, different connections. And now I can grow when I need things or when I can provide help and services for other people who look like me and in turn help the whole city. True, man. Um, coming back to the point about just, you know, once you, you don't see something until you, you see it and you see it all the time. I feel like a lot of companies are starting to have that thought now. Companies and boards, other groups, right, are having, oh, yeah, like open their eyes up, you will, based on the conversations going on in our country. And so for group, for, um, for those organizations, nonprofits, for-profit companies that are looking to engage with, you know, with one, just to get engage with young black professionals in Austin. Mm -hmm. um, and your group, I think, is a great focal point for that based on your work and composition of membership. What are, the, what are the ways, the best ways they can do that meaningfully, right? I mean, they can, they can sponsor an event, cool. Right. What do you think, just, you know, when they, it's a deeper conversation with things that would be meaningful, because I think having about, you know, 200, 300 membership members between 25 and 35, is a good demographic slice of, of black Austin, young, these black professional Austin. Uh -huh. It absolutely is. Uh, I, I, my, my answer to that, I think meaningful, meaningful is, is, is key. And I think ultimately for all of us, when you want to build something in a manner that's different, you have to build a relationship. So if I don't know you, you know what I mean? You might be a checkout box, you might be whatever, but once we have a conversation and dialogue, 
then you begin to see who I am, what the benefits are, or what, how we can help each other, or how we just build a friendship with one another. Mm-hmm. And so whenever companies have asked us, hey, so, you know, I noticed that you have this pocket demographic. This is great. You know what I mean? We're always trying to reach that demographic. What can we do? And I, the first thing I say is come to a meeting. Like, you know, come sit down and talk to people. You, you can give donations and things all, all, all you want. But when you build those relationships with individuals, now they know your viewpoint and understand who you are as an individual. And that trust factor, it gets broken down a lot because we have to manipulate the way we act in certain environments and don't be comfortable with the way we are in certain environments and be truthful. Now you get to see who the people really are and in a more welcoming and open space. So once you do that, then you can continue to build. And in that, you can see, oh, there are a lot of talented professionals here and we're looking for this. Um, can you please mention that to the group? Well, the group now knows you because mm-hmm. you've had a communication and we've seen you and you've shown up more than once and you just came by to say hello. And uh, you know what I mean? You did community service with us, whatever. But now we know who you are and that tie and that bond strengthens. And when you need something, now you have a community of people who know who you are and are willing to contribute. And then when you do something for the community, uh, hint, hint, when you do something for the community, the community is appreciative because they know who you are. Yeah. Now, the thing where I'm just wanting to a group to support something quickly, they know there's a constant investment. And I think that's the key. What investment are you making in the things that you're requiring? You want your environment at work to look a certain way, or you want people to be a certain way, or you're trying to drive diversity, but what investment are you making in the community to drive that continuously? Because ultimately, if you make that investment, it typically has a good return on investment. Diversity and culture has a great return on investment. We just choose to push a blind eye to what that investment is because maybe we don't want to change something, we'd be comfortable in a certain setting, and we don't want to make those adjustments to move beyond that and see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's like this, AJ, it's like, you know, you've been so successful at something for so long that you're unwilling to change that thing. Yeah. And somebody's like, but you could have like 30% exponential growth. And you're like, eh, but I've been, I've been good at this thing for a real long time. You're like, yeah, but you're missing out. It's gonna switch over, you could get 50% more money. Yeah, but we're real good at this thing. It's like success is very seductive. So you have to break things and be innovative and consistently get a feedback loop to see how you can improve and where an opportunity to do that. I feel it, man. And speaking of community investments, know it's something we've talked about on the business side is uh, opportunity zones, yeah. right? And this is a, I haven't heard anything about it in a while. I mean, it was definitely a hot term a year ago or going or coming into 2020 or 2019 rather, just with investments in the community. But for those who aren't familiar, just what are opportunity zones and where are we at in the process? I know there was there was some deadlines coming up on how to of investing in them. Yeah. And there are certain there's certain there's certain of them that are drawn on the east side of Austin, I know. Mm. So an opportunity zone was initially uh, put together by the United States government to get investment into areas that traditionally did not receive investment. And specifically those were areas where 30% of the population was below the poverty line. So each governor of each state designated areas in his state that were OZ zones. And once those designations were made, it was sent back to the government. The government said, okay, cool. All right, this is what the program is. So the program initially is a way to get capital gains. So there were something like $6 trillion in capital gains sitting on the sideline doing absolutely nothing. People weren't doing anything with it, but they had the money. So they're like, well, how do we get these people to utilize these gains and uplift said communities that have these, you know I mean, these downtrodden areas and bring them up in order to help the community strive and grow. 
And so the incentive was for those individuals, if you were to invest in said area for a period of time, you wouldn't have to pay capital gains taxes. And any benefit that you received from said investment was potentially uh, something that you could write off. So you would also not pay anything on the gains or the potential gains on the things that you invested in said area. And the thought process was you're providing an avenue to socially and, and provide a social economic benefit to an area. And we want you to invest in those things. So we'll give you a tax break. And one thing I was, you know, I was reading a book called tax free wealth. Um, what's funny about the tax code just in general is there's like 80 pages that talk about, you know, what you're going to get taxed on, but there's like 300, as I mentioned, 300, 400 pages on what you can write off. And those 300, 400 pages are meant to direct you towards certain things in order for you to benefit. And it's also what the government wants you to invest in, whether that's real estate, oil, et cetera, it's typically write-offs for various things because they're like, if you have this capital, invest in these things. And the reason we want you to invest in these things or the way we'll show you is we give you a tax benefit. We give you a tax write-off. But most of us look at taxes like, oh, this is bad. They're taking all my money. What the hell are these people doing? When you start to get a little bit more savvy, you realize there are opportunities for us. So back to the Opportunity Zone. So now when I read the Opportunity Zone uh, information, I was like, oh, this is an opportunity for us as a community to pull together funds and invest in the uplift of our own community. Because contrary to popular belief, I don't, fall, I don't subscribe to any narratives I don't know for a fact. So for instance, you can tell me that we don't have black wealth. I'm like, yeah, nah, don't necessarily agree with that. I'll find out when I start asking people. So I'm not going to subscribe to any narrative that you tell me that's negative about my folks. I just don't believe that. Um, so I think that was my first intuition. So then my second thing was, how do we, so let me make an observation of what people are doing with Opportunity Zones and seeing if it's really helping us. And what I noticed is people would go buy land. Let's say you and I, we would go buy land in the Opportunity Zone, we'd put up some houses, and some apartments or whatever. And then we raise the price of the surrounding area's rent. We raise the price of values of homes and it doesn't necessarily help the community, though it makes the community look better and it drives money into that community. It's just about the same as gentrification. Mm -hmm. And so when I saw that, I was like, oh, there has to be a way for us to do this in a manner that is cyclical. How do you continue to let something be a cycle of growth so after watching people, you know, I know myself, I was just like, I'm just going to create my own opportunity zone fund. And, uh, you know, for, fortunately, let's not say unfortunately, fortunately, I lost my job in December. So then I was like, oh, well, perfect time to incorporate. Yeah. Right. So I incorporated the business in December. And now the goal is to what can I create or what have we created that allows an exponential growth in the building of wealth of, of people of color, community, communities of color and African-Americans, because ultimately, I believe that the runway for us is the largest in terms of potential growth and the money that we can provide to the city and allow the city to become the, one of the best cities in the United States. That's good, man. Well, Kobla, I want to talk more about that offline. I think we had just picked it up for a conversation probably six months from, from today. Yeah, right, right. Uh, a lot of things have happened since then, but you know, the hustle, as we said before, doesn't stop. So thanks for putting that back on my radar. Yeah, uh, well, Kobla, Kobla Teddy is the president of the Austin Area Urban League Young Professionals. Kobla, thank you for your time and all you do for the Urban League and in the community. Um, it's great to know you and great to be your friend. Yeah, absolutely. And one other thing, right before I get off, please, uh, definitely want to tell people where they can contact us. 
you can contact us, contact us at aaulyp.org, or you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram at, at aaulyp, and that's Austin Area Urban League Young Professionals. So um, that's where you can see the events that we're doing, uh, what we're doing in the community, and most of the time you can sign up for various things via Instagram or Facebook. Um, but we'd love to have you. We need leaders. Um, this is a movement. It's not a moment. Um, you know, I mean, we partner with a lot of organizations with the things in the region because I think partnership is key. We should not be uh, doing things separately. We're doing things together, hitting things at different angles, but making sure that we're still doing things together. And, and people like yourself and Austin Justice Coalition and Autumn and NAACP, we try to do everything we can to align with folks so we can have the biggest impact. Because it's not about me and you know I mean? it's about the community and what we can do to drive the community to be the best it can be. Good deal, man. Well, all those links will be in the show notes. And I'll also put your, uh, just your presidential email in there as well for folks who want to reach out to you, or folks or companies or nonprofits who want to reach out to you directly. Coblo, thank you for your time. Absolutely, brother. I appreciate you. Thank you for listening to today's BG podcast. You can find this episode and prior recordings at www.binghamgp.com slash podcast and iTunes and Google Play. Subscribe to stay current on future posts.